Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. We hope the stories and interviews you hear provide some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs across the country, in person and online. Learn more at faithandgrief.org. Today we're joined again by Sarah Murphy. Sarah is a professor at the University of Rhode Island, specializing in thanatology. She is also a death and grief expert and works with the National Funeral Directors Association on many projects related to grief and end of life. Today we're going to talk about grief during the holidays. The holidays sometimes can be a difficult time for those who are grieving. This year, in 2020, all of us are grieving something. And so we're going to talk a little bit about managing grief during the holidays. It was great to see you at NFDA. Um, oh, thank you. I loved you. your presentation. That was really great. Um, people are having conversations about end of life. They're having conversations. I mean, I don't think a year ago, very many people really knew what a DNR was or mm-hmm. had those conversations. And they've learned that they're going to need to have those conversations, that they they might need a living will. In fact, they should. Absolutely. There aren't a whole lot of silver linings these days, but that to me is one of them, that mm-hmm. people are talking about grief and they are talking about if this was to happen, how would we do this? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In your work, has, has that started to, you know, longer colleagues or even those folks that you consult with, is that a trend that you're starting to see as well? Yeah, I think we're seeing death coming out of the closet again. Mm. Um, something that I hope will be sustained once we can put this pandemic behind us, which will be probably a couple of years at least from now, um, that if we could maintain the openness that we're starting to have around both end-of-life planning Mm. and those contingency plans, and also, you know, things like wishes for one's memorialization and for one's funeral service, Um, That would be a great outcome out of what has been, you know, a devastating experience Mm. to know that we can have the kind of conversations about death that haven't happened really in the last 50 years in American culture um, in this in any kind of open way or transparent way that we can stop shrouding death in secrecy. Uh, I think I think we are seeing that as a trend. And I hope it's one that lasts when the press of its necessity right. appears diminished when this is over. Well, we're coming on this week being the week of Thanksgiving, and we're coming on the holidays. And I think many of us early on in the pandemic certainly didn't expect to still be um, pausing uh, in right. some parts of the country. Uh, certainly weren't prepared, I think, to continue this into potentially the new year. Um, but grieving during the holidays is can always be a challenge. It can always be difficult um, because there's so many things around the holidays. There's memories, there's traditions. For some families, it's the one time a year they get together. And for some right now, they can't do that. Um, thinking of like where we are right now, and kind of grieving during really the traditional holiday season. Um, what do you think will be different or challenging this year? 
Oh, I think all of us are feeling the weight of the challenges that are laying ahead for the holidays. Um, and certainly anyone who has a realistic understanding of the nature of the restrictions required for this pandemic to slow um, is also feeling a lot of responsibility for how we're going to handle the holidays. Um, I mean, we have travel restrictions. We have in most states, um, stronger imposition of social gathering limits. Um, and for people who are grieving, there's also the added weight of this being perhaps the first holiday with that empty chair around the table. And there might be other empty chairs around the table because of distancing and um, travel restrictions. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of challenge to plan a holiday that makes us feel that we are doing justice to our family system or doing justice to our grief. Uh, one thing I would suggest to anyone, even families that haven't lost a loved one, but who are grieving the loss of that holiday, is to not try to replicate the holidays of years past. Mm. Um, you know, many of us come from family systems where, as you say, the holidays are when we see our extended family, right. perhaps for the first and only time of the year uh, or one of the only times of the year. And a lot of families really put a lot of weight on specific traditions, specific foods, whose house someone is gathering at, um, how gifts are exchanged and when they are opened. Um, and those kind of tra uh, traditions may simply not be possible this year. And to try to hold that up as a standard in these incredibly abnormal times um, might be far too weighty for us to be able to get through and feel good about it at the end. Um, so I would say, you know, while we should be trying to connect with our family and, and be with the family it is safe to be with and to connect virtually with the family with whom it may not be safe to be with, um, we need to scale things down mm. in terms of the expectations we place on ourselves for the holidays. And I think this is, I know certainly online this is trending, um, and I hear it in the families I work with and the students I work with, that people are starting to make their plans now um, and contingency plans now. Um, what is the best we can do for this year, mm -hmm. as opposed to how can we meet the standard that we've set for ourselves um, over years and years of familial or friend group traditions? And I think that's a lot more realistic in terms of thinking about how to just do the best we can this year. Yeah, I I hear exactly what you're saying and totally agree because. Uh, any time someone's grieving during the holidays, many times that's what I suggest. Do what you can do. Do and and give yourself some grace and give yourself a pass. If you have to say no, say no. You know, because there's going to be some things that you can't. You just literally can't do. Um, and this year, there are things we can't do because we literally can't do them. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Like I mean, there's there's more than just my emotional state to, to be considered. But speaking of those expectations that you brought up and planning, what are some suggestions you have for managing expectations, especially for those maybe not your own, but those in your immediate family, extended family, 
um, sort of planning for the holidays and really into the new year because, you know, for some people, the holidays go way into the first <laughs> of the year. Absolutely. Um, for some, the holidays really extend from Thanksgiving into the new year. Yeah. And um, especially for people who are grieving, um, I would say setting the bar at a comfortable level mm. uh, and communicating openly and clearly with friends and family about where your bar is, um, is really important. And we've talked in the past about complications within family systems in being able to express one's unique grief experience mm. um, vis-a-vis how other people in the family might be grieving. Um, and I think it's important to loop back to that a little bit because I think there's an assumption Uh, depending on someone's role within a family system, that someone may have to be the standard bearer for keeping everything going. Uh, And we feel the weight of that really around the holiday season. And it's frequently um, women. Um, It's frequently matriarchs, but also, um, you know, parents who are trying to keep up a good standard for their children. And I think setting that bar at a comfortable level and knowing You can always do more if you feel okay with it, Um, but you don't have to be up at three in the morning baking 20 dozen cookies because in the past you always did that and gave them away to family. Um, And and being able to communicate without apologizing um, is, is something that I think a lot of us work on. Um, I tend to feel a lot of, um, uh, if not regret, um, but sense of obligation if I am incapable of doing something that historically I have done. Um, but in really prioritizing ourselves and saying, this is what I can handle this year, just want to let you know, this is where I am in my grief, or this is where I am in my pandemic uh, fatigue at this point. Mm. These are the things I'm comfortable with. What are some of the things that you are comfortable with? Um, could be really helpful because we need to take the obligation part of holiday planning off anyone's plate at this point, but especially families um, that have suffered a loss during this horrific year. Yeah. Well, speaking of loss, I've been hearing in our support gatherings over the last couple of weeks in our workshops um, when we were at, you know, we've, as we've been winding some stuff down the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the holidays because for a lot of folks, suddenly they're here and now what do I do? Um, what are some suggestions you might have for preparing yourself if you are grieving and maybe the others around you um, on how emotions may vary during this time and how would, how to address that? Because um, I, I like what you said about kind of setting the bar where it's comfortable um, and communicating that as clearly as possible, because I think those two things are really, really important. But kind of on the personal side, how would someone, you know, what might you suggest in that situation? Kind of? I think going into the holidays while grieving um, this year or any year is tremendously hard uh, because you don't know what the shape and weight of your grief is going to feel like Um while navigating through the traditions or the um, 
you know, events surrounding one's typical holiday experience. And I think recognizing always that not only do no two people grieve the same, but the shape and weight of our own grief changes and not in a linear way over time, right? Um, I was having a conversation recently with um, some university administrators in which I was referencing all of the outdated and misappropriated ideas of stages of grief. Um, and the idea also that there's this timeline to grief and this narrative arc where suddenly six months out, we're just okay again. And I mean, all of us who have grief know this isn't true, um, but we wanna believe that we're making progress with our grief, which is kind of problematic terminology because we know that it really is more like being caught in the waves of the ocean um, where something can hit us and it's a little wave and we can float it. And then something bigger hits us and it drags us under for a few minutes um, or, or longer, right? Metaphorically. So understanding that the holidays are already primed to trigger people in their grief because you're carrying all those memories with the loved one who you have lost. You're carrying um, all the laughter, all of, you know, but also perhaps all of the contention. Um, holidays are also a ripe time for family arguments. <laughs> so there might also be some regret there or guilt there. And that every person within the family system or the friend group is grieving a particular and unique loss of relationship. Mm. So claiming your own grief and understanding that your grief is unique to you and may look different from day to day through the holiday season or even hour to hour on specific holidays is really important. And also being able to recognize what some of those triggers might be mm. through the holiday season. Uh, because I would encourage people who have lost someone, um, particularly this year, to take some opportunities to memorialize the dead, um, whether religiously or secularly and safely in the home or outdoors. Um, you don't want to also be putting yourself in a position where uh, you are beating yourself up with your grief. So, you know, maintaining some kind of balance for yourself in knowing, you know, I can't bake that type of pie this year because I know it was her favorite. Um, or saying, actually, that might make me feel good to memorialize her by sharing this recipe. Um, being self-reflective in that sense um, and being good to yourself and making the decision that is simply going to work for you. Right, right. And part of that, I think, um, is getting comfortable with setting some boundaries, um, yes. especially for yourself. Um, because, you know, if you start to feel, um, you know, the grief start to, you know, be in the wave somewhere. I know for me, um, all I need to be is at a candlelight service on Christmas Eve and hear silent night. And I start to cry because it was my grandmother's favorite song. She would hum it all the time. And all I have to hear is those first few notes and, I've, I haven't gotten through a Christmas Eve yet without that. But at the same time, as far as boundaries, both for yourself, you, you've got to be able to speak up a little bit and help yourself and those around you know what's going on. Um, just putting the chin up and, and carrying on 
isn't always going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, that really, your, your example there resonates with me. Um, I, I too have a very similar association with specific music around the holidays um, in relation to my grandmother who is um, in her end of life period with dementia. Um, so there's an ambiguous loss that's already happened there. And, and yet I wouldn't personally avoid the music <laughs> to be able to have the catharsis of a little cry um, either. So that's also the self-knowledge, right? Um, setting boundaries for yourself is really the healthiest thing we could be doing on a daily basis right now and definitely around the holidays too. Um, it absolutely requires clear communication because we all grieve differently and because even those closest to us are not mind readers. Um, and may also not be sharing their own boundaries because they feel like we don't have any. Um, so to be able to even just virtually or, or if safe in person, sit down with our nuclear families and say, maybe let's just go around the room. What are we comfortable with this year? Um, how can we make this a good holiday for this year? And no one needs to apologize for putting their needs first. Um, you know, we, we don't get medals for jeopardizing our own well-being for the sake of others. And being able to dialogue and maybe come up with a plan for where the people in our little nucleus or our little bubble um, <laughs> are comfortable being for the holidays specifically. And then that might take some of the anticipatory anxiety mm. off the plate a bit. Um, and know that like everything else going on in our country and the world right now, we may need contingencies. Mm -hmm. uh, we may need a plan B or a plan C, depending on what is or isn't safe, or depending upon what happens with our grief as the holidays begin, um, to know that we, we, can, we can change plans and we can regroup and we can set new boundaries um, for what is most comfortable for us. But yeah, I, I think in addition to the weight of the very personal losses that people are living with right now, this has also just been objectively an incredibly draining year. Uh, and that goes above and beyond um, the nexus of the pandemic, the pandemic leading to loss of life. Mm -hmm. um, for many, it's job loss on top of that. Um, for many, it is the incredibly divisive election season that we're just coming out of mm -hmm. um, and political climate uh, and COVID fatigue and homeschooling kids. And the losses really start stacking up and they can extend into our day-to-day -day emotional well-being. And when grief is added on to that and then the holidays are added on to that, we need those boundaries to be able to move forward and not fear what each new day will bring. Right. I, I love what you're saying there because uh, in our recent workshop, that was something that we've really uh, talked a lot about was, you know, it's one grief is heavy and that's the first thing. And then we have all these other things stacking on top. Um, we have in one of our workshops, we had a, a teacher and so she's teaching and grieving and managing her family, you know, like 
there was the list was really long, and I think we probably said it a hundred times. Just be gentle with yourself, and give yourself a break. It's okay. You know, this is going to be. It's not going to be easy. And I and I think you know, a decade from now, we'll still be talking about twenty twenty. <laughs> And oh, I, I think so as well. Yeah. I think this is a watershed moment yeah. in terms of not only, you know, the scale of mass death, um, but also the way it has hit people personally because of the guidelines surrounding it. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone's been affected at some level. And it's the grief that we're all experiencing, we're all experiencing at the same time different Mm -hmm. kinds maybe and some of it may be disenfranchised because you weren't able to be there when the person uh, died or maybe didn't get to experience your grief it got delayed because of restrictions or in this case for some people they're just starting to go oh wow this is what's happening Um, there's sort of a wake-up moment a little bit um, because we've all sort of been in such a heightened uh, awareness of everything else going on. Um, speak a little bit about disenfranchised grief for a minute, just because I think a lot of people haven't heard that phrase as much. I know we've talked about it before, but I think right now that's something that people just need to be aware of, um, especially if they've had a loss, not just a death, but a loss recently. Absolutely. Um, I, As you know, I do a lot of work with disenfranchised grief both in terms of specific populations that are at higher risk for disenfranchised grief and also modes of death Mm -hmm. that are at higher risk for disenfranchised grief. But um, the term really refers to a grief experience following any kind of loss that is an openly acknowledged or socially validated or publicly observed. Mm -hmm. Um, In working with a lot of death system professionals who um, are in other parts of the wheelhouse, um, not educators, I learned that there was this prevalent misunderstanding of disenfranchised grief as simply something that happened to someone who, say, um, is a survivor of a suicide death loss Mm. um, or an addiction or overdose death loss. But the fact of the matter is disenfranchised grief can happen to anyone, and disenfranchised grief does happen to most people at some time. And there are a lot of ways in which uh, interpersonally we may unconsciously disenfranchise someone's grief. And there are also you know, systemic and cultural ways that some types of grief become disenfranchised. I've been talking about disenfranchised grief um, throughout this pandemic because from from February, really early March onward, when we all became so hyper aware, Mm -hmm. um, both of, you know, the rising death count we were watching on the news every day, every night, but stories from families who are losing loved ones so blindsidedly and so rapidly and um, not being there while they died. Um, that it really gave rise to a different kind of experience of disenfranchised grief, where if you have so many people who are bereaved due to the same cause of death, the same pandemic, that you might start to feel that your loved one is merely a statistic Mm -hmm. in the eyes of the community, in the eyes of the country. 
Um, simultaneously, even though there have been a lot of really rapid innovation in funerary service mm -hmm. um, surrounding COVID, um, I don't know anyone who has been bereaved since March who has felt that they have done justice to their loved one in terms of the kind of funerary services or memorialization rituals that they've had. Um, and that, that goes back to really the, the public observance. There's a reason right. that we gather to support survivors when someone has died. And there's a reason that historically communities come together to, to stand with the people who are survivors of someone who has died because it is a greater loss, um, not only to them, but to, to our kinship ties and to our community. And you know, people who have lost someone this year haven't necessarily had that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm working with some students who've lost parents over the course of this pandemic who have had no funerary services, mm -hmm. no memorials, in some right. cases, no obituaries, because everyone was waiting to see when would it be okay to do this again. Right. And now we're finally um, at the point you know, you mentioned earlier, like none of us were thinking in summer that the holidays would be something we'd be worried about. But now people who have lost someone in the last nine months might be starting to realize this isn't going to be over anytime soon. So do we make a decision to do something now? Right. Um, or and, and if we do, what will it be? Will it be public? Will it be private? Um, because the risk of being you know, carrying that disenfranchised grief is is high sure. um, for negative mental health outcomes, for negative grieving outcomes. Um, so, you know, in some ways, the holidays might also be an opportunity to do some kind of memorialization mm. so that even within, you know, the family system or useful engagement of something like social media yeah. that we can we can claim our deceased and we can we can share the weight of our grief well it's a, i'm so glad you brought up about memorializing at this time and i and i think even those who may not have lost someone during the time of the pandemic it, the holidays bring up so many thoughts and feelings about their loved ones who have died um, we started the Faith and Grief Memorial Arch uh, five years ago. This is our fifth anniversary. And this is a public place space here in Dallas where folks can come to Clyde Warren Park and write the name of a loved one on a ribbon and tie it to this very large arch in this beautiful setting of uh, a downtown park. Um, we started it uh, after some tragedies happened here in Dallas in 2016 for a way for those families. We knew that, that there was a lot of media attention around the tragedies that um, happened, but by the holidays that the media was gone, the casseroles were over, and but they were still there uh, grieving. And so we started there, and then this year, the Arch is really a place for people to come. It is outside, so we're socially distancing the Arch this year. Um, but Folks can come down. It's a place to take a moment to remember their loved ones. Um, and, you know, this year they might not have had a funeral. They might not have had a, an actual ritual around that. So this gives them maybe a little piece of that. 
Mm. Um, but we know how important ritual is, especially in memorializing and recognizing the life that their loved one, who they were to them. Um, so we always hope that this gives them a little piece to do that. And one thing uh, for folks who aren't here in the Dallas area, you can actually go to our website and we will write a ribbon for you and put mm. it on um, the arch. So That's lovely. What a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's just an, a nice place to do that. This year, um, we're dedicating the arch to really the lives that have been lost this year and um, honoring our helping professionals for the tireless efforts in, you know, our healthcare workers, our teachers, our first responders. So many people have managed to keep all this going um, with little, you know, they've, they've risked their own lives um, to keep us safe, uh, which is to me an amazing thing. Um, and fortunately, it gives us the ability to do something for the community like this. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And how wonderful to be to be honoring those helping professionals and the healthcare workers. Um, you know, I teach a lot of nursing students. Yeah. And so I've been talking to a lot of recent graduates who are in their first jobs as nurses during this pandemic. And uh, as a lifelong supporter of registered nurses, I didn't think I could have more respect for them as a profession. And um, every, every week, I feel that respect increasing because yeah, nobody really signed up for this like this. Um, and same with our EMS and our first responders and our doctors and no one knew this was coming and they, they, deserve, they deserve a lot of uh, admiration and thanks. They also are going to deserve a particular kind of support mm -hmm. when this is over so that they can navigate the traumatic overload of this pandemic without having serious um, compromising outcomes there. Yeah, we agree as well. Um, that was one of the reasons we started the podcast. Um, yeah. We knew that uh, they didn't have time maybe to, to go through a grief support program at the, in the middle of all this, but we wanted to provide them some things to listen to on their own time where they were and we hope to support them in the future because, uh, like we've said many times, this even once we have a vaccine and we get to a point where things start to feel typical again, um, this won't be over, nor will the grief from this time Absolutely. be over anytime soon. No, we're, we're carrying this. We're going to be carrying this with us. Um, I'm teaching a course on mass death right now, wow. which... I had actually been slated to do before the pandemic started. So perfect, perfect timing um, with freshmen of all, of all cohorts and they're fantastic. But I was, we were trying to um, get through our unit on 9-11 um, last week and trying to explain to them what it was like for me to be working in Congress uh, on 9-11 and and in the government for the months that followed. And one of them said, when do you think we're going to start learning about this and things like history classes? Um, because of course, secondary public education, those textbooks only go so far. Most of my students weren't taught about Vietnam. Right. Um, and, and if we'd ever see anything like this again. And I said to them, you know, bizarrely, this sort of public heaviness and public grief that I'm seeing now and feeling now 
feels a whole lot like that. Um, those those weeks after the terrorist attacks, when there was fear, there was um, you know all sorts of ambiguous losses to security and safety that I think we're seeing again in a very different way. And while those were sudden and shocked us in a very different way, um, we're having this sort of slow buildup of loss right now that, yeah, I think is making mass death feel, I don't want to say normative, but that it's inescapable, that it's that it's simply part of our daily lives to negotiate with at this point. And um, going back to the need for support and what we're carrying yeah. with us, um, I think we're all going to need to come face to face with our own losses and our unique grief for years after mm -hmm. this is over. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we will too. Well, um, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Um, as usual, wonderful conversation. And I, and I do think um, the holidays gives us maybe a little bit of a pause, even if we're not uh, required to, <laughs> to pause and reflect on this year, um, the losses that we already have experienced ourselves. And if there's one thing that you would tell people during the holidays as far as their grief, what would you suggest? I would suggest that you be as kind to yourself as your loved one would have wanted you to be. Mm. And that the holidays are also a wonderful opportunity to remember that there are bonds that cannot be broken by death and that our bonds with our loved ones, um, the memories that we carry with us, um, the, you know, certainly the secular afterlife they have, regardless of one's belief of a religious afterlife, those don't have to go anywhere just because the relationship has been changed by death. And maybe embrace the sometimes palpable presence of your loved one that you can feel at the holidays and, and lean into it. Well, thank you. I think it's a great suggestion. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. From all of us at Faith and Grief, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your insights with our listeners. And thank you for teaching during this time. Um, it takes a lot of, uh, it, being an instructor, being a professor is one thing, but doing it during this time is, uh, you get extra kudos, I guess. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yes, I I was not anticipating um, teaching on death during a pandemic, but here you have it. And uh, happy holidays to you as well and to your family. I hope it's, it's a good little break. The Faith and Grief podcast is supported by listeners like you. Donate today at faithandgrief.org.